Hey, it's Nick. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. I'm looking forward to getting back into the WPRK studio sometime this fall to start doing new interviews again. In the meantime, I'm having a great time actually looking back and pulling nuggets and brilliance and telling the stories of the people who have been on the show in the past. This is one of those episodes. I took a look back at October of 2019, the guests I had on, and I pulled uh, some nuggets, some brilliance uh, from each one of those people. And that includes Chantal Watts, Jim Myers, John King, and Emily Fontano. So you'll hear from them uh, on this episode. This episode came out in June on WPRK. It was broadcast on WPRK. So it's a little bit dated, I think, in one category for SAC Comedy Lab. They're not doing live uh, shows on Facebook nightly anymore. They are actually back in the theater. So if you wanted to go see a show at SAC, you should do so. I want to assign you a little homework, too. Uh, So not just following the people who are on this show, uh, because you should, going to the Melrose Center, reading the books of John King, following Chantal Watts on Instagram to see what she's reading, and obviously going to Sac Comedy Lab, as I mentioned before, or listening to Amanda and Emily. We have a podcast. I want to assign you one more thing because I think it's important. Uh, June, when this was recorded, was, of course, Pride Month. One person I think you should do some research on and find out some interesting, interesting things about is Gilbert Baker. He is an artist and an activist. He was the artist who came up with, back in 1978, June 25th, 1978, the gay pride flag. So the rainbow flag originally with it with its eight colors, each one having a meaning, each one symbolizing something. Uh, he did a lot during the course of his life. He passed away in 2017. And there are so many interesting things that I can't fit them onto just this intro or even one episode of to a certain degree. So go out and do your research. That's Gilbert Baker. I think you'll find him very, very interesting, especially some of the uh, drag names that he went by like Busty Ross, because he made a flag. Get it? Good. Enjoy this episode. You're listening to A Certain Degree. It's me. I'm your host, Nick Jorgudio. In case you need to hear it, you're a really great person. Even if you don't need to hear it, you're still a really great person. Speaking of great, you are listening to one of the greatest college radio stations in the world. There, I said it. WPRK 91.5 FM is an amazing assortment of content, music, and people, both on and off the air, and we're lucky to have them. Normally, to a certain degree, is a two-hour show from 7 to 9 a.m. every Monday featuring guests from around Central Florida. It's an in-depth interview with them. We play a few games, listen to some music. I encourage you to check out the nearly 200 past episodes wherever you get your podcasts. This is a special hour-long episode featuring guests who appeared on WPRK back in October 2019. I chose this time period because it's a really good cross-section of people who are doing things, pretty remarkable things, in Orlando, with Orlando, to Orlando, and yes, sometimes outside of Orlando, but mainly Orlando adjacent. You're going to hear from John King, an author, teacher, and podcast host. 
Good morning. Thank you so much for coming in this early. Well, it is extraordinary for me to be up this early and for there not to be a hospital involved. So okay, well, it's the I'm night trying is to young. Enjoy it. The night is young, so it's we'll good see to see you as always. Yes, and you as well. <laughs> uh, so this will be your first dawn in some time, then. Of the sun rising, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think so. There is Jim Myers, department head of the Melrose Center at the Downtown Library, and one half of the band, Milk Carton Superstars. Good morning, Nick. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Chantal Watts, former co-host of the Full Frontal Nerdity podcast, an avid, avid reader, and a big part of WFTV for a little while. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here too, because it means that I'm not just alone with my thoughts. Sitting in a room. Yeah. Yeah. The worst case scenario for I w- me. I will sit in this room with you. And last but not least, with multiple appearances on the show, Emily Fontano, artistic director of SAC Comedy Lab and part of the improv super team, Amanda and Emily. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. It's sincerely my pleasure. This is like the fourth time you've been on the show. I, know. I wouldn't wake up this early for anything or anybody else. I, Just so you know. I appreciate that. And like the fifth interview or conversation that we've had like professionally. Mm-hmm. We've had other conversations. Yeah. But professionally. Yeah. Yeah. Always professional. Yeah. No, we keep it professional. For sure. You and I. Oh, yeah. Not anybody else. Mm-mm. Like, I'm not this professional with anybody else. Never. Right. In fact, it's impressive how professional I can be in this setting. Around me. Because when I leave, I am, I mean, I'm off the rails. Since Emily has been a guest several times before, and she's totally professional, she got out of playing the word association game that each first-time guest goes through. Here are some choice answers from Chantal. Jim and John. Did you have to learn cursive when you were a kid? Oh yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, and as yeah, a the writer, game. oh okay. Uh, I'm I'm bad at it. I have yeah. the penmanship of a serial killer. Um, but uh, no, I'm a fan. Do you uh, when you're writing now? I would imagine computer for the most part. Not as much as I would like. I mean, so much of my life is about just trying to uh, take notes about the fragments that are appearing in my mind so that maybe later they will go into the larger piece of writing that I don't have time to concentrate on. So you've got everything floating in your head. As the things pop up into some sort of coherence, you got to jot them down. Yeah, my brain is like that giant plastic island in the ocean Mm -hmm. and more plastic keeps accumulating onto it. And so, yeah, uh, you know, I, I would really look forward to the day when I can maybe, I don't know, organize that island or get rid of it and maybe, I don't know, build something better. But, uh, yeah, in the meantime, uh, you know, I do have some computer notes and that's even more frightening than the post-its or when I write on my hand like Sarah Palin. Oh, very nice. So I was wondering up and down your arm, I thought that was like a memento type of thing situation uh, where you're trying to remember some stuff. I have no idea where that came from. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's go back. That's to not th- even my penmanship, so. Uh-oh. The Beach. Echo or The Bunnymen? Echo. Okay. You're a big fan? 
Yeah, love the beach. Did you grow up here in Florida? I did. Okay. Yeah. Were you born here? I was. Wow. I was born in Orlando. Wow. Know, okay. Pretty rare. Yeah. 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 You're a, you're a rare breed. Uh, how often do you go, or what do you do there when you're at the beach? I like to write at the beach. Hmm. Um, my wife and I go and uh, like to take long walks down the beach. Uh, I like the beach at night, especially. Um, so yeah, I'm not not a big water sports person. I'm not a surfer or anything, but just the uh, just the the horizon and and that type of thing. As I motion with my hands so that the radio audience can see. Of course, what the I'm horizon. Doing. Yeah, you can't say that right without expanding. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely an echo. I like the beach. I like to write the, at the beach. Well, yeah, I was going to ask, what do you write? So I know you're in a band, so mm-hmm. I assume you're writing poetry or songs, but what else are you writing there? Um, I I write a lot of song lyrics right now. Oh, yeah. um, I have written um, other things. Um, wrote a wrote a book a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple of years ago, that I've you know kind of messed around with and tried to get published and mm-hmm. wasn't successful, but uh, I'll you know, probably take it back and uh, rework it and do some other things. But but really, primarily, I write song lyrics at this point. Okay. Yeah. And do you find that the song lyrics are, do they come to you better because, or you know, not necessarily more efficiently, but there is some level of inspiration there that you don't find in other places? I think it's... Um, not necessarily uh inspiration that i'm getting from the beach it's just a it's just being physically away from yeah. the, the the ties of being in the city and and it, it it just does something to my mind i don't know if it if it's something that's about the beach because i can get that on vacation somewhere else too um but the beach is a close vacation spot and so i tend to allow my mind to to kind of fall into the creative stage so the farther you get away from home and work and responsibilities. Yeah. yeah. I seem to have a lot of things that are keeping me busy in Orlando. So yeah, huh. getting away helps me write. So space would be the best place for you to go because it's the farthest away. Hmm. I assume that's how that works. Wow. I guess. So if we want, uh, if yeah, I'm orbiting, I'm no carton superstars to make yeah. like the next five albums really quickly. I just need to orbit. Yeah. Okay. All right. NASA, if you're listening, and I know you are, please, please send some of my guests to space. How do you feel about uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks uh, self-driving cars? Uh, right now, I'd say Chipmunks. Yeah. Just because they're not tested enough. You know what I mean? I'm not confident enough to be super excited about it. I know they've been driving around Lake Nona and doing a lot of testing here in Central Florida. We're kind of a hub for it. But until it's a little bit more proven, I'm going to go chipmunks. Are you looking forward to the day when Lake Nona, we like stop hearing from them <laughs> because the driverless cars have taken over? Yeah. Yeah, I like be interesting. That as a, I'm excited about it. As a, <laughs> yeah, let's same. do it. Same. No offense to anybody in Lake Nona. I'm not even sure the radio station's uh, signal gets down there. Yeah. So I doubt anybody from there is listening. It's always funny to me hearing, you know, Lake Nona's, oh, it's in Orlando. I was like, but it's so far away. It's not. It's not. Really. I know they use Orlando police and I know that it's near the Orlando airport. Yeah. But it's very, they are their own being down there. They, yeah, they're Mm self-contained. So when it does get cut off from humanity, like there's a dome around Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, we'll know why. And they're doing all their high-tech medical self-driving car yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Okay. Sorry, Lake Nona. Cobbler, the dessert, not the person who fixes your shoes. Once king. Yeah. Cobbler's great. Do you have a favorite type? Uh, I don't have a favorite recipe, but mm. a cobbler made in a real Dutch oven. Oh, okay. And then you pull it right out of that Dutch. Like you have to, you have to get the embers off of this, you know, a giant piece of metal stuck in the middle of a campfire. That's There's something, you know, primal and civilized and, you know, you feel like a, a creature straight out of uh, Lord of the Rings yeah. when you get to have cobbler. You have to let it cool a little bit, but you know, when it's like, yeah, no, this was buried in a fire in the earth and now it's, now it's like a peach cobbler. Now it's in my mouth. Yeah. yeah. And now it's in my mouth and it's okay to die now. Like okay. the skies, the eons, they're, they're surrounding me. So I absolutely think we should do that as well. How And over yeah. cake, over pie. Okay, I was going to ask, is that one of your favorite? So that particular, it has to be prepared that way. Yeah, though. yeah. Fresh out of a Dutch oven. Out of a Dutch oven, and that's the From way. From someone who knows a good recipe. Like you can't just, like if I made it, all right, you probably don't want to eat it. But. Right. Let me ask you about, let me take it over to apples for a second because there's a new one coming out uh, late this year, early okay. next year. They've been working on it for 10 years. Like basically when you have a new apple come out, like mm-hmm. Honeycrisp is one of my favorites. Uh, it takes around 10 years for it to the uh, trees to fully grow, right. uh, ripen and things of that nature. This one's called Cosmic Crisp. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that name, Alvin or the Chipmunks? I feel like it should have a Pop Rocks effect when you that eat would be it, good. yeah. You know, it needs to be something kind of out of this world. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna chipmunk it because I hate apples. Oh, okay. But I am digging the name, and I feel like it needs to have some sort of pizzazz for those who eat it. Yeah. So I think the reason they named it the cosmic part is because there's a bunch of yellow dots on it that oh, make okay. it look like stars. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I'll be I'll be interested to see it when it's finally hit. But the not eat shelves. it. No. No, no, I don't. I'll eat applesauce. If you want to make some cosmic applesauce, I'll eat it. But I'm not. That does sound like something you would have after maybe imbibing some. Yeah, like your late night night snacks. Yeah. Yeah. No, I um, I'm not an apple person. I'm not going to just dip an apple in some peanut butter and eat it. Okay. Or or caramel. Eat an apple. No. At all. Absolutely not. You will not bob for apples. I'll bob, sure, because I don't have to eat it. Well, yeah, I just yeah, have to bite into it and right? then I can spit it out. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely, I'll partake. Though bobbing for apples grosses me out anyways. There's so much stuff already in there. In the water. Ugh. It, does anybody do that anymore? Is uh, that still a thing? I have not seen it done since I was a kid. Okay, great. So maybe we've gotten more hygienically knowledgeable. Maybe we can come up with an alternative to that. Bobbing for iPads? I mean, I would, I would do that. Yeah. Yes, that is something I would partake in. Crowd share scooters. So a little bit like the crowd share bikes, but electric scooters. Um, uh, I think the closest that I've seen them to Orlando so far is in Tampa. And I'm not sure if they're planning to come to Orlando or if there's some inherent I, I, I'm issues. okay with, with, with those, I think. Yeah. yeah, I'll go with that go on that. Okay. Yeah. Would you ride one? Uh, sure. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I'll try it. <laughs> I want to see the Milk Carton Superstars do a show while riding uh, electric scooters. You realize I'm playing drums and singing yeah. already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it would be fun. 
Okay. I'm not saying it would be easy for you or safe. Right. It would be fun for the audience. Short. It's a short show. It's a very short show. Um, all right. Well, I'll, you know, we have a rehearsal this week, so perfect. We'll, we'll talk about that. Excellent. Disney remakes the cartoons to live action movies, the once or future King. Oh, absolutely. Uh, future King. Like we've seen these, um, and you know, I I try not to be that guy, mm-hmm. the the old guy. I I, I love Disney, and uh, you know, I realize that there's going to be a generation of people for whom, you know, the live action Aladdin that's their Aladdin. It was when they were growing up, mm-hmm. and you know, as someone who's kind of gone back and re-experienced a lot of the stuff I enjoyed as a kid, yeah, some of the stuff remains still locked in my imagination. Like, no, that's still great. Uh, you know, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory is still great. That 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 sequence in the uh, oh, you know, in the, in the river, yeah, yeah, in the tunnel. Oh my! Like that's that's scarier than Alien. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, I I'm not sure other people behave in the same way. Where it's like, no, like the critical faculty never really touches the stuff they loved when they were kids. Uh, and so I think remakes should be radical rather than safe so uh you know if it was like the lion king set on mars i'm like okay that sounds goofy but you're trying so it's something very different yeah yeah and from a storytelling standpoint just telling the same story over and over again that doesn't it doesn't do anything for you either oh it does something bad like i just feel like i'm being hollowed out Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Oh, absolutely, Alvin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my my husband was on, like, the main project team for years and years, building it both in Anaheim and Orlando. Oh, So nice. I've been very much uh, immersed and surrounded by that project and all things Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and it was very cool to go on Imagineer's preview weekend mm-hmm. to see it and see all the hard work kind of come together and hear the stories of this thing and that thing, and so I'm... It was awesome to be there, and it was very cool to watch it kind of build over the past couple of years. And he was project manager on it, or he, so how, he was, was part role? of. Um, he's he does uh, consulting for like scheduling and assets, and he basically goes through and makes sure that he helps keep the project on time, mm-hmm. foresees any setbacks, makes sure they're hitting their deadlines, so no money's lost, et cetera, et cetera. So he's hurting the cats. Basically. Because that is, it's unlike, you know, what I would consider a traditional architecture project, a, a building going up. It's it's much more artistic in yeah. nature. Yeah. Not that architecture isn't, of, of course. Of course. No, he's, it's, and it's, it's very um, stressful, but rewarding at the same time. So it was, I'm very much about that. There's a segment on the regular version of To a Certain Degree called Bad Business Ideas. That's where I pitch two just terrible, terrible ideas to the guest, and they have to pick one. Crowdshare scooter concerts would certainly fit in. Hey, NPR, keep your tiny desks. We've got Crowdshare scooter concerts. Let's get back to one of my favorite people in the world and how she ended up at SAC Comedy Lab, one of my favorite places in the world. Emily Fontano. Mm-hmm. Actor? I guess. Sure. Singer? Yeah, for sure. That. Improvisational artist? Okay. Yes. 
you have to admit to some of these things. Yeah, yeah, at yeah. Some definitely point. a singer, definitely an improv performer. Oh, improv performer. Actor always seems like I do scripted work, which I okay. I have done, but it's not my. I'm not. It's hard. I don't do that as much. So actor makes me feel a little bit more like, well. Hoity and or toity? No, no. I, I just don't want to be compared to actual actors oh, okay. in this city. Yeah. Because I'm not, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't Got it. imply that I'm in that caliber. Let me ask you about mm -hmm. singing. Yes. Because you have, and people get to see this uh, when you're doing shows at SAC, but I don't know that everybody knows. I, I know from going to a few Amanda and Emily shows and some of the other stuff that you've done that you have a set of pipes. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. Tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, when I say that, that's not like, I'm not talking about your bosom. I'm uh, talking about your actual voice, excuse right? Excuse me. Why? Let me, let me ask you this. Yes, okay. Is it bosom or bosoms? I, I don't know Is because it it's not 1932. Buddies? What? No, it's bosom buddies. Oh, okay. So when I say you have a, you have a set of pipes, I'm yes. saying you are able to sing. Yeah. Why okay. would anyone assume that you were speaking of my bosom? Like why would like what what pi I don't pipes know where aren't pipes? I would have been thinking even more like my internal like organs, pee pee parts. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that seems more like pipes. Okay, the, the bosom is I think not we're a pipe. Digging too much into this, uh, and we don't have time. Agreed. For that, um, I always tell people God didn't give me much, so he but he did give me the gift of voice, so I can sing. I'm confident with my singing capability. When did that start for you? When did that come I was come very up? young. Yeah. Yeah, like like six or seven. Were you singing along to stuff church. or at that point? Oh, church. Okay. My mother wanted us to go to church, and I found that they were singing at church, and I thought that looked more fun than having to sit and, like, sit through it. Yeah, and try to stay awake. Yeah, like, some of the songs are really poppy, very catchy, so I liked that. So then I started being the church cantor, and then I started taking voice lessons, and I really just loved it. And then I just could always do it. And, yes, I would sing along with albums in my bedroom. Yeah. Madonna. Cindy Lauper, more of a Cindy Lauper than a Madonna girl, but that's like yes, and Bette Midler. So I was obsessed with female vocalists, and I wanted to make my voice sound as good as theirs. So when you say like imitate them or just have the range, use them that they as a, yeah, you have them uh, you have the range and use them as they kind of like uh, that's the kind of music that I constantly sang to. So I was always trying to like be able to hit the notes that they did and have the style that they had, and so I was obsessed. Okay, yeah, I sang all the time. And you pursued this in college. Well, no. Then I went to my mom had me move here to go to the magnet program at Dr. Phillips High okay. School, the visual performing arts, because I grew up in Massachusetts. Yep. So we relocated so that I could go to Dr. Phillips in the magnet program. Um, and it was great. It was like it changed my life. Because in, in the town that I grew up in, in Framingham, Massachusetts, I would not have gotten as thorough of a visual performing arts education. Right. So it was really valuable that we came to Orlando. So just lost Framingham, Massachusetts as a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Sorry, the 508 is not your area code any longer. <laughs> uh, you're not getting that demo. Um, yep. So then I went to Dr. Phillips and then I eventually went to, I came back to, I went to back to Boston. I went back to Boston. And was a musical theater major at Boston Conservatory. Yes. But that did not last. How come? It's a very intense program. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, uh, you know, people would recognize Juilliard. So you had eight hours of classes every day, and that would include everything. So you had to take ballet, tap, music theory, proprioceptive movement, uh, acting, theater. Uh, you had to be a stagehand. You had to, you were there for eight to ten hours a day. Monday through Friday. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like most college experiences where you have a, Go a class at this a time. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't live on campus. 
So I wasn't really able to like, and, and I also started singing in a rock band. So I was just kind of like, uh, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need school. <laughs> I'm going to be in a band instead. Really smart idea. The conservatory is a much different experience. And so mm-hmm. what made you want to do that in the first place? Were you like, I do want to be a singer. I do want to <clears> be <throat> a professional singer. And this is one way of doing when it. When you are not um, excelling in academia, yeah, uh, you tend to, like, I found that I just tried to glob onto something that I was good at. I couldn't do math, but I could do this. So if I was going to go to college, I had to find a way um, to, you know, to, to go to a school that specialized in what I was capable of. And I was capable of singing and performing. So it seemed smart. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a school, I, I'm not a disciplined person necessarily. It was very hard for me to like adapt to that. And it was in Boston. So it was also really fun to like not go to a class and like walk around the city and take the train and get lost. <laughs> So really what I was doing at the conservatory was, I think a lot of young people do. It's like, well, I, this is what I should do, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I never fit. It should also be known I was a musical theater major. And, oh, people are going to hate this. I, I really don't enjoy musicals. So that's what I saw my future as being, was being in, in, in doing musical theater. And I don't care for musical theater. Do you think a lot of people are going to... There's going to be some backlash to this. Well, certainly not a lot because, I mean, it's not like it's... <laughs> My 19 <laughs> listeners. Yeah, exactly. it's not like late. Well, also, too, it's not like musical theaters like lighting the world on fire. It's like yeah. before Hamilton came around, everyone was like, who will give it up? It's exactly <laughs> Oh, my God, people, people are probably are mortified. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and in this town, so there, I think there's a lot of musical theater going on in Orlando. Yeah. And people are always going to the show and the at Dr. Phillips and this and that. And I just don't, it's just one of those things. It's just lost on me. Yeah. It's interesting though, that you were in that, you were doing all these dance things too. Did you like doing that stuff? I mean, I was, I was like 18, 19. I yeah. mean, it, it was just, it was, it was challenging. It was hard. And when you're at that age and you have freedom and you can go be around a city and you're singing in a rock band at the same time, taking ballet at nine in the morning or taking a tap class, it just was not as appealing as the other things I felt like I wanted to do. So rock band took off. You became famous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can see it was a really wise choice to leave Boston Conservatory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why you're here now. Yep. I'm so here. <laughs> one of the most famous people I've ever booked <laughs> based on the rock band. <laughs> but I, I did have a good experience singing in bands. Well, and that's kind of the thing too, right? Like if you're not meant to go to college, if you don't think you can do well there or you're too young, you're not ready for the experience. Mm -hmm. All of those things. Which is what happens in many cases. That's also your time to do stuff and make mistakes. Well, and I knew how much money my parents were spending. Yeah. And I knew that if I kept, I was like, I feel like I'm just like flushing money down the toilet. I mean, it's, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars every semester. And I just got to a point where I figured, uh, I don't want this. I don't like it. I don't want to be here. I'm not going to keep going just to, you know, I'm not going to keep spending your money when I kind of feel like this isn't what I want. But here I am at an improv theater. (laughs) (laughs) 
But that came up, so we'll get to that. Yeah. That came up a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where did the comedy come in? Where was that intersect of music and comedy, or was there an intersect? Yeah, do you know what's interesting is that I always, um, when I moved here from Massachusetts, moved to Orlando, Florida, Sat Comedy Lab was um, in, it was on Church Street. Do you yeah. remember this? Oh, yeah. And remember how um, uh, Terror on Church Street was right behind it. Mm -hmm. So when you're a teenager in Orlando, other than the theme parks and stuff like that, there's not a lot of things, especially at that time. Like, it was like 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, you're going to a mall. You're going to one of the theme parks. But even that, like, there wasn't they burn City out. Walk. There wasn't. There wasn't City Walk. There, there wasn't. Was Pleasure well, Island. Pleasure Island. you couldn't go in as a kid. You could only go to, like... <laughs> <laughs> what were the places you could go to? Oh, like yeah. Eight tracks? Ones. Is that one yeah. of them? <laughs> yeah. So um, going to SAC actually was something great because it was, you know, it was pretty clean, like clean humor. It wasn't, a, you know, whatever. My, our, our moms could drop us, know that we were going to a show and then come and pick us back up. Um, we would do Terror on Church Street and SAC some nights. So I was obsessed. And right around that time, Comedy Central was just a thing. Mm -hmm. It just started. And one of the only shows they had was Whose Line Is It Anyway? And it was the original. The original British mm -hmm, version. The yeah. original UK version. And I was obsessed with it. I couldn't believe that they were doing what they were doing. I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And that was like uh, Ryan Stiles, Colin Mockery, and then like, you know, a lot of British uh, comics and performers. Mm -hmm. it, so I became obsessed. So doing musical theater at Dr. Phillips High School, and then also like going to SAC regularly, I saw that there was comedy. I saw that people could do music and comedy. I saw that people could act, improvise, and sing. And I think that just kind of, I was, I was lazy for years and did not just take a class. If I had jumped into it in the At like late point, 90s, yeah. I would have probably la latched on right then. Yep. It just life shifted, so. So you went back to I went back to Boston, went to Boston Conservatory, you know. Rock then I music. I sang for 10 years and then eventually relocated back to Orlando. And then when I relocated back to Orlando, it took me a little while, but then I just took classes at SAC. If you're missing the live shows at SAC Comedy Lab, check them out on Facebook. They are hosting video check-ins with different performers nightly, so you can get your improv fix while waiting to get back into the theater or the classroom. Down the street from SAC is the Orlando Public Library, which is home to the Dorothy Lumley Melrose Center for Technology, Innovation, and Creativity. There's a lot to cover in those three categories, I'm going to turn it over to Jim Myers to sum up everything that goes on there. What was your first introduction uh, to the Melrose Center? Was it before it was started? Um, yes. Or, yeah, so how did you get to know it? And, you know, when did you realize it was going to be something really special? I have been uh, with the Orange County Library System for an, a long time. I've mm -hmm. been a manager there for more than 20 years. So um, I've I've been in that building for a long time, and so I saw the the emergence of the center as a concept. Um, it really started when the the Melrose Family Foundation approached the uh, Orange County Library System in 2012, and they wanted to honor Dorothy Melrose, um, the matriarch of the family, in a way that was meaningful to uh, to, to 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 honor her and, and with things that she was really uh, fond of or uh, enthusiastic about. Um, she was uh, a library lover. 
she was very interested in emerging technologies. And so putting those two things together really uh, was, was the genesis of the Melrose Center. When the family came to the library with the, uh, the donation, of course, the library was blown away by, by the, the gift and very graciously accepted that. Um, it was soon after that as the library started to you know, match that donation and start putting money into constructing the space that I started to realize. And I was, I was in another department. I was mm. managing the circulation department. And I started to, uh, you know, uh, my manager at the time, one of the administrators was overseeing the Melrose Center. So I saw early on what it was going to become and the potential that it had. As a musician, I was drawn right away to the audio studio. Um, in fact, if if you go uh, to the Melrose Center, um, we have, you can become a member by taking an orientation and we have an on-demand version of that. And you can see Milk Carton Superstars in the in that on-demand orientation because we were like the first band testing the studio out um, before the library staff before it was really open. So we were we were all about the space right away. Um, and then um, you know I, it opened and I I was just like a patron. You know I I observed the the space um, and what you could do with it um, as as somebody who wasn't directly affiliated with it. Mm-hmm. It was at that time part of a, a bigger department, the, the Technology and Education Center Department of the, of the library. Um, it it kind of grew, and uh, the decision was made to make, its own de- make it its own department. And at that point, I had the opportunity to come and, and work there and manage really just the most incredibly talented staff. Um, I, I will say this about the Mower Center. Those of us who live in the, the service area of this library, uh, Orange County, excluding Winter Park, where we are, but excluding the city limits of Winter Park and Maitland, that's the service area of the Orange County Library System. We are incredibly fortunate to have a space like this. Um, I know public libraries, as, as a rule, uh, often um, they they fight the perception of what they really are and what they can provide to people mm-hmm. in this day and age. If you haven't been to a public library in a number of years, you probably don't think you need it or can't really make much use of it. And the Orlando Public Library, the main library downtown in, in Orange County, uh, and really I'm sure the Winter Park Public Library right over the, here around the corner from us, we all uh, have this this perception that we fight against. Uh, if people can come into the building and see some of the things, like if you walked into the Winter Park Library today and you hadn't been in a public library in a while, I'm sure you would be blown away by what they can offer you and what is relevant to your life today. For sure. And or something that you might not have thought of that maybe you want to get into, exactly. for example. Yeah. Yes. And we're no different from that. But then within that concept, put within that a space that, you really aren't expecting to see in a public library. Even even public library visitors are mm. not ready for the Melrose Center because it is a, an incredibly unique space. Um, I have seen public libraries in this country that have maker spaces and some that have some studios and some that have some simulators and are doing some of the things with, with design classes and uh, Im- you know immersive technologies that, that we are doing, but to be able to provide all of that in one space that's really large, um, it's like close to 30,000 square feet on the second floor, is truly amazing to have all of that opportunity in front of you. And uh, so just from somebody who lives here, I know how lucky we all are. And then I get to work there and I get to work around, like I said, just an amazingly talented staff. I, they teach me stuff every day. 
Um, so I can't say enough about it. And if you if you come visit the Melrose Center, you will realize that first the first thing that's going to you know shock you is the 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 atmosphere and just the resources. And then when you start to interact with the staff, um, you're going to get that bonus too. Yeah, I think if you ever have an opportunity to, and I'm just going to call out two people, but everyone there is fantastic. Sure. But uh, take a class with Jonathan, take a class with Marco. Um, it is, and everyone else there is really good as well. But I just love those two guys, especially in terms of uh, the classes that I've taken in the past there. Yeah. Um, something that I think uh, should be pointed out again is the Melrose Center is part of the library you can access it with your library card, but you do have to take an orientation to be part of that because there are some specific rules and regulations that are associated uh, with the Melrose Center. So you can't just go in there and necessarily sit around. You have to be working on an active project. You can rent space, but all of it's for free for the most part. There's a couple of things that will, like if you want to rent the conference room or something along those lines. Right, exactly. Uh, But, you know, I would say 90 to 95% of it is, uh, certainly all the classes are, Mm -hmm. uh, being able to reserve space once you get the appropriate training on it uh, is all free, um, which again, I think makes it incredibly unique um, and a resource that uh, people need to look at because, you know, sometimes a, a studio will cost, quite a bit of money if you're just starting out and starting something new a podcast uh photography if you want to do that you could reserve the studio there go in have somebody come in to do your photo shoot with you and then you know you've got everything already set to go yeah it's 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 exactly right it it's um it's free um if you if you don't live in our service area you can still use the melrose center and our rates are pretty reasonable Mm -hmm. as you mentioned compared to how much it typically costs us to to get a studio space um but these are professional studios in the melrose center and all we're asking of of you to be able to use it is to learn what we can teach you about using the space properly and safely um, and we are we're we're seeing people going through that program. If you have no experience in say video production, we have the resources to teach you everything you need to know. And if you go through our curriculum, you'll be able to check out the video studio for four hours and use the green screen and and you know drop things with the chroma key and and use the the multi directional cameras and all these things to produce you know a, a promo for your business mm-hmm. or a short film or a music video and the same goes with the audio studio if you've got no audio studio production we can show you everything you need to know jonathan is one of those teachers um doing that work and uh, we can get you set up we can we can ultimately make what is really yours you know you're if you live in our service area you're paying for this uh with your with your taxes that go to the library so we want to make this available to you because it's yours we, we see it as another uh, another material to check out. You know, we're just a very unusual branch of the library, the Melrose Center, but, <laughs> but we're checking stuff out too. That's a good way of putting it. And you can just search for the Melrose Center on all the social medias and also just online to find out what times uh, they're open. Mm-hmm. And if you do want to take the tour, uh, not the self-guided, uh, but do the tour with somebody and go through the orientation uh, when it's scheduled, you can find that time online as well. Right. We offer the general orientation as a class that's a tour with, with an actual instructor, um, I would say probably eight times a month at mm-hmm. least. So it's pretty frequently. I would suggest doing that too. I think it's good to get a little more out of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. 
The Melrose Center is currently offering virtual classes via Zoom, and they have a lot of content on their site and social media to help scratch your creative itches. Stupid creative mosquitoes. Let's talk about Guy Psycho and the Ziggurat of Shame. That's the most recent book by John King. Where did Guy come from? Where is he going? When is he going? Why is he going? Mm. What happened is eventually uh, I, I came back from a trip to Las Vegas of all places uh, for me, like for Guy Psycho, like actually Vegas is a pretty good place for him. Mm -hmm. But uh, with the vision of this bizarre lounge singer in this lounge and so, uh, yeah, a short story came out of that, the sort of fake Rolling Stone style profile of this postmodern lounge singer. And yeah, he's kind of been uh, with me ever since. So it's interesting how sometimes the character outgrows and gets sort of into your brain like a little worm mm -hmm. and grows in there because that's how I assume characters grow is they're eating your brain at the same time. Is that correct? That can happen. Yeah. And okay. so Ian Forrester in aspects of the novel, uh, this is, yeah, the early morning uh, kind of conversations people are, are eager to hear, uh, basically argues that characters want to destroy the story you want to tell. That they have their agenda, but you have this agenda, like, okay, like we have to... We have to get to the top of the mountain so that we could relay the secret information to the submarine that will then travel to the valley of, you know, and you've got this kind of causal chain. And then you've got, uh, you know, this, this you know, 400-pound Samoan who wants to play the kazoo in the submarine. And, you know, he's trying to compose a symphony using the kazoo. So uh, that's not Forrester's example, but... <laughs> That's a great example. Uh, you know, though. we've got I want to read that book. this, you know, th this conflict between uh, telling a normal story and then these characters who have their own personality, their own agenda, and then you put more than one character in a room, and you know, uh, things can get pretty complicated. And so, you know, bad stories or or stories that maybe are all right, but we don't remember or love afterwards. Right. It's all about, okay, just get to that next adventure spot, you know, mm. keep going, keep moving, keep moving. And, you know, I think there's part of that going on in my book, you know, a fourth word, keep, uh, you know, uh, just keep moving, you know, we, we got to get to the next part. Yeah. But I, I think that there's room enough in that story for all of these characters to one, you know, like every character gets a moment. And there are a lot of characters. There are a lot of characters. So there's the backup singers, the postmodern heirs, there's the band, there's the accountant who serves as sort of um, a little bit of the uh, audience surrogate. I think kind of viewing it from our eyes in terms of this is craziness <laughs> happening with this band and the things that occur on a day-to-day -day basis with them. This is show business. And yeah. then not only is it show business, but... Yeah, it gets incrementally stranger until you're like, wait, how do we get all the way out here? Right. The uh, book reminded me a little bit. I don't know if you had these comparisons or you had this in mind of uh, a movie from the 80s called Buckaroo Banzai across the fifth dimension. I don't know yeah. if you had that in mind a little bit when you were writing it or that came up in terms of uh, uh, anybody who's uh, seen the book or read the book and seen the movie. 
I think that guys I go in the ziggurat of shame probably yeah there's like if you could imagine the rat pack version of buckaroo bonsai yeah. and you'd get like a sense of what this is like so uh i love that movie a lot uh i, I like it it's hard for me to say that it was influential mm-hmm. but it's certainly adjacent to uh the, the sort of aesthetic so the hero in this uh guy psycho is uh, a renaissance man uh, is a singer. He's not that old. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> was he not? Oh, he's not from the Renaissance. Right. But he knows a lot about a lot of things. <laughs> he knows a little about a lot of things. <laughs> now, so but he, he somehow manages to do a lot with that little bit of information. Just out of curiosity, is that, you know, I, I sometimes we write the people that we want to be. Yeah. Is that someone that, you know, you at some point in your life wanted to be or something? Did you want to be a celebrity at any time? Did you want to be a singer at any time? Oh, yeah. For me, I, I think a lot of people of my generation, certainly the dudes, but probably a lot of people like, yeah, I wrote literature because I couldn't be a rock star. So, uh, you know, Guy Psycho is kind of a result of me reaching, uh, approaching middle age, although that happened early for me in mm. my early 30s. Uh, I just saw where I was in my life and I'm like, oh, you know, this is way less fun <laughs> than even I imagined it would be. And so Guy Psycho is simultaneously, all right, this is what it would have looked like if I had gotten everything I wanted in my 20s. Uh, and wouldn't that be great? And wouldn't that be terrible? That That's kind of... Uh, me sorting out, uh, you know, how I was feeling about life at the time. And uh, I, I think the nature, the archetypal nature of that character and his just bizarreness as well, uh, yeah, it makes him a pretty good conduit for that over time. So I'm not done with him. That's good. Or he's not done with me. I think that's probably <laughs> more like it. I like how you get your midlife crisis over early as well. Well, I, I started it. I'm not sure it's over, but yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, <laughs> as far as writing a book goes, this is your first book. This is, is the correct? first published book. Yeah. So Fair I enough. had a novel I had been working on for years and years and years, uh, which I finished after I finished Guy Psycho. Uh, but uh, I in the fall of 2007 i got to go to nyu's creative writing mfa program mm-hmm. and i decided and this was a really perfect decision i think uh and i don't make many of those but uh i it, it occurred to me i couldn't workshop an old novel in a new program if I've been spending years on a book and someone goes, well, this chapter doesn't serve any purpose. I'd be, where That was a year of my life. Where were you? Like, that's not a fair thing to put on your uh, fellow, you know, workshop members. And so. Well, I think it also makes it more difficult for you to, you know, do that in terms of uh, getting that feedback. And, uh, you know, uh, even uh, start to worry that you're getting old and you're like, well, you get. I need to think like a younger writer and I need to be generative, mm-hmm. you know, like just, you know, get in the sandbox and play. So instead of like, oh, here's, here's my project that I've been dusting for <laughs> over a decade, like, no, like write something brand new. And if it's bad, okay, well then you finish it and then you go write something else that's new. 
but it might also give you some different perspective on the original novel as well. Yeah, well, I certainly learned what I value as a reader more over time. And yeah, that first novel deeply reflects the, uh, I don't exactly want to say pretentious, but the very high-minded and, you know, uh, ambitious literary novel that I thought I needed to write. And while I, I do love that first book, uh, like it's, it, it lacks that quality, I think, that Guy Psycho has, which is no matter how complicated it gets, it's still pretty easy to read, you know. Um, even though it's a bonkers book, each installment of the, the craziness itself is relatively straightforward, even if it's a crazy straightforward. Mm-hmm. Guy Psycho and the Ziggurat of Shame is available wherever you get books. If you like reading, writing, maybe arithmetic, I would also encourage you to subscribe to John's podcast, The Drunken Odyssey. He recently put out his 400th episode of Literary Goodness, and it's an excellent listen. Speaking of literary and listenable, Chantal Watts. Let's take it back a step. Uh, College, radio, Mm -hmm. loved it, Mm -hmm. got out, went into news, you know, basically thinking, be a journalist. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about me. Oh. Yeah. So I was... Very similar lives here. Yeah. It was weird (laughs) because I was listening to a little bit of your background and I'm like, oh, yeah. So we are the same person. Basically. Essentially. One has a beard. One doesn't. Yes. (laughs) Not going to say who. Uh, But yeah, WUCF uh, was over there, loved doing radio, uh, tried out Central Florida News 13. Nothing wrong with them, but it just wasn't for me. I was a right. weekend assignments editor there. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, this is not a fit. Ended up in marketing. But similar situation for you, University of Florida, mm-hmm. radio station there. Yep. You wanted to do broadcast. Yep. You came out of it uh, into television over at WFTV, mm-hmm. Channel 9. Yep. I just got to interview Tom Terry. As I a love matter of fact. Tom Terry. Yeah, he is the Such nicest a good guy. good human. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Ridiculous. He's real. He's a real person. He's a real, yes. real nice person. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so you get to work there with a lot of people who are still in the community. Yeah, absolutely. On one level or another. And you were there for six years. Six years. Yeah. Nice. And I got to work with some really great people. I mean, you know, Bob Opsall and Marty Salt, working with them was just surreal to me because, you know, my mom watched them when I was a kid because I'm from Central Florida. And mm-hmm. so they were on the airwaves when I was a kid. You know, and, and so to then be an adult and sharing a workspace with them and learning from them was really amazing. Um, so, you know, being there when, when Bob retired and being able to thank him and say bye to him. And, you know, Marty just announced her retirement. And it was just very, I feel very fortunate to have been there when I was and to have worked with the people that I did. Now, you originally thought you wanted to be on air. Yeah, I wanted to be a reporter. And uh, then you took a look at what that takes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no <laughs> way. So back at UF with WUFT, I, I did the radio for um, and TV. I did both of them for two years and I loved the radio aspect of it. It was so fun. I really enjoyed it thoroughly. I didn't have anything negative to say about it. And then the TV aspect, I was, you know, a, a one man band reporter and, and going out with my camera and doing the work and really enjoying it. And then. I moved to Orlando straight out of college 
with the idea that I'd move into a top 20 market and immediately be a reporter on air. And that as we all do sometimes, yeah, yep. my stupid college ego, not knowing the reality of the world. And so when I got here, I was applying for basically anything and I got an associate producer, basically script writing part-time job with channel nine and very quickly moved up the ranks to full-time to producing and getting my own shows and, um, very, very early on realized that I was not cut out for reporting. It is a very hard job. I give so many kudos to every reporter because it is hard. It is extremely demanding, very challenging. You're out there in the elements. You're out there, you know, in, in scary places, running down scary people and pouring rain. You know, it's just, mm. I was much happier in my air conditioned building doing my thing than I would be out in the field because it is not cut out for everyone. Now, take it a step back for people who don't know what it means to be a producer Mm -hmm. on a show uh, because, you know, that sounds, if you think about a sitcom or a drama, like the producer is this big person in a tower that is maybe, you know, chiming in on some stuff here and there. But a producer or an associate producer on a newscast Mm -hmm. or any kind of those shows is going to be sort of the hub of everything. Is that accurate? Absolutely. So when I, my final position at Channel 9, I was the 4 p.m. show producer. So Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. I came in every morning at, you know, 8 o'clock and I had a completely blank slate, a one-hour blank slate that I had to fill with the news of the day. And so as the producer, you work with your executive producer and the other producers of the shows in your same time period, and you find content, find stories, you decide your angles and what you want to focus on, and then you write. You write until your fingers fall off. You're writing teases and headlines and scripts themselves, but then you also will have your associate producers, which are basically your script writers. And they come in and they help you also write content and create graphics and, and build as well because no producer is going to get a show done without their team and without the associate producers saving their butt sometimes. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a lot of really hard work and a lot of very tight deadlines. And TV news is very unpredictable. You never know when a story is going to fall through. You know, it could be 3.30 and all of a sudden something happens and your lead story is now gone and you've got nothing and you have to scramble to rearrange and fit and fill in the spaces because no matter what, you have that hour to fill and you have to you're fill You're going it. on yeah, regardless you're, you're unless go- there's some sort of emergency. Right. It, you have to fill your show. And so that's where a lot of the stress comes in with that job. And then at the end of the day, all of that hard work you did gets deleted. And you come in the next morning to a new blank slate. And it's basically that all day, every day. So it's interesting now producing a podcast or hosting a podcast, Mm -hmm. I should say. You are creating content that has a little more shelf life. Yes. Somebody can go back and listen to something, Mm -hmm. an interview with, say, super handsome 3D printer guy (laughs) uh, that you've done in the past and still get something out of it. Yeah. um, As opposed to the news, which, like you said, is it from hour from minute to minute it doesn't really matter because the you know you were doing four to five Mm -hmm. and then the five o'clock show by 11 p.m that newscast is going to have potentially a different angle on all the same news that you did earlier it's absolutely going to have a different angle and and everything you know it news is only current in the current moment and once you even go a minute past it has to be the next thing you can't just keep 
putting out the same thing over and over and over again, A, viewers don't want to watch that. Mm-hmm. And B, it's it's not productive. You're not informing the people properly, you know? So you're constantly evolving and finding new angles to the story, new ways to promote the story, to push the story, new information that you need to get out. Um, and it's, it's an ever-changing beast. And at 11 p.m., the things that we produced and put on the air at 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. are out the window because now the story is its own thing at 11 with its own different topics and, and you know, things. So it's, it's a very ever-changing, vicious cycle. As vicious as it is, people often talk about getting bit by the bug, being sort of addicted to the amount of adrenaline yes. and the not only the adrenaline of producing something that's live, but also doing the news specifically because it feels like you're you're bringing an important element to yeah. people. I right? felt I felt like I was I, you know, I not to be gloomy about it, but I felt like I mattered, like I was actually contributing to the community. I felt like I was really helping people and contributing to what's going on in Central Florida and helping inform people. And that's what really got me was just feeling like I had a purpose. And no matter in how stressful it was at the end of the day, you felt like you did something good mm-hmm. and you helped people. And the other a- you know aspect of it was I live for pressure and tight deadline. I was that person who would wait until an hour before class to do my paper because I want that really tense. It's how I function the best. Yeah. So for me, a lot of stuff done that environment, I work very quickly, very efficiently. I love having tight pressure, like filled deadlines because that's when I work my best. If I have all the time in the world, I get lazy and I sit around and spin around in my chair and don't do what I need to do. I wait until it gets to crunch time and then I knock it all out if we took away that spinny chair do you think that would help that would be miserable okay i'd have to get a yoga ball so i could bounce so we'll just leave the chair with you then. <laughs> you can hear more from chantal on past episodes of the full frontal nerdity podcast and make sure to follow her on instagram at watts yareden w-a-t-t-s-y-a-r-e-a-d-i-n-g It's not just covers of books. She takes the time to actually review what she's reading. That's how awesome she is. And how awesome are you? Thank you so much for listening to A Certain Degree. I have been your host, Nick Jorgidiu. I will continue to be Nick Jorgidiu, I suppose. For the full interview with all of my guests, please visit toacertaindegree.com. Subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And keep it tuned to WPRK early and often. Have a wonderful day.